As I said a little earlier, this year our liturgical calendar is a little compressed. So we're observing the fourth Sunday of Advent this morning. We'll gather this evening to celebrate Christmas together. What's normally several days is shortened to a few hours this year. <laughs> but for our purposes this morning, and when it comes to this story from the Gospel of Matthew, we are still firmly in Advent. We are still waiting and wondering when and how God might come to meet us. In the past few weeks, we've explored scriptures from the Gospel of Luke. We've heard the story of Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist and relative of Mary. We've heard the story of Mary's triumphant song called the Magnificat, and today we turn to Joseph's perspective. Technically, legally already married to Mary, but before living together in the same home, he was put in an impossible situation. Believe the words of Mary or honor the value of fidelity. Let us listen now for the word of God. This is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. Now the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband, Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord had commanded him. He took her as his wife, but had no marital relations with her until she had borne a son, and he named him Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. God of grace and God of glory, we come to your word today both eager to celebrate Christmas and also perhaps feeling a bit like Joseph at the beginning of the story, confused, hurting, afraid. Wherever we are today, we ask that you meet us here in this word. Quiet all the distractions within and without. Draw, us close, draw close to us and show us what you want us to notice in this story. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Often with these stories leading up to the narrative of the nativity, we are either so familiar with them that we feel like we can't learn anything new from them, or the characters themselves have taken on this kind of cultural interpretation that oversimplifies and flattens them. We forget that these were humans with complexities and emotions, fears and hopes. We forget that they were not that different from us, even if many of our norms are different today. So we're going to unpack some of those cultural norms that might be a little bit different and then do some imagining about Joseph's thoughts and emotions in light of this incredibly hard situation. There's nothing in the text to suggest that Joseph had plans to become a powerful leader or king or that he wanted anything other than to have a normal life. Get married, work hard, grow a family, worship God, and move through his life with integrity. He is described as being a righteous man, and sometimes we get a negative connotation with that word, righteous. 
and righteousness, because we kind of conflate it with self-righteous. But righteousness means right living. It means doing the morally right thing, being a person who is ethical, who has integrity, who understands what they value and align their actions accordingly. In the New Testament, if someone is described as a righteous man, it is a very high compliment. It means they loved God and loved neighbor. But when the text calls Joseph righteous and then says he resolved to divorce Mary, sometimes this is where we can flatten him a bit and even judge him a little for casting Mary aside. Why couldn't he just forgive her? Why couldn't he just believe her? But Joseph had a simple dream of a simple yet satisfying life. A purposeful life, but simple. Sure, his future might include hardship and sorrow along the way. Sure, he would worship God and pray for a Messiah just like his ancestors before him. But I doubt that he thought or dreamt that his future would involve being so intricately involved uh, in bringing God's kingdom here on earth. I doubt he thought or dreamt that his life would include an unfaithful wife with an unbelievable story. His dreams for his future came crashing down when Mary revealed her pregnancy. And so he wondered what to do. Our translation today says that Joseph had resolved to divorce Mary quietly. But others pick up on some other nuances of the Greek, and they say, as Joseph considered these things, or even as Joseph brooded over these things. There's implications here that we don't quite see. In English, Joseph was painfully wrestling with these thoughts. They were keeping him awake at night. Joseph was conflicted. He was torn. Now, we're not conflicted unless we're experiencing some kind of internal struggle about what to do, what is the best thing to do, what is the right thing to do. And there's something what the angel said to Joseph that adds to this. The angel said, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. In other words, don't be afraid to stay together to bring her into your home. So maybe Joseph wanted to stay married to Mary, but he was afraid. Maybe he wanted to figure this out, but he was afraid. Afraid of of what? Future infidelity? What people would say? That he would make the wrong choice and no longer be a righteous man? that choosing to stay would somehow be condoning infidelity, that he would be turning his back on values that he cared about, that his community cared about. Now, some people say that uh, Joseph had no idea that this baby was from the Holy Spirit and that the angel tells him that for the first time. But I don't, how do we know that Mary didn't tell him? I can't, I can't imagine her coming to tell Joseph, I am pregnant, and not saying, this is why. (laughs) Because otherwise he definitely would divorce her, right? And she would be very vulnerable. How could she care for this baby Messiah if she is cast out and divorced? So she must have told him, and maybe he wanted to believe her. He wanted to trust her. He would at least have known her to some extent if they were already engaged in this kind of like middle zone of marriage that we don't quite have today, where they're engaged and legally married but not quite in the same household yet. Maybe he wanted to trust her, but it's such a personal thing, it's such a wild claim that he just, he couldn't. 
He was torn between doing the right thing or what others would perceive as the right thing and trusting Mary that she was truthful, trusting his own intuition that he knew Mary and knew that, this, that she's been truthful this whole time, so why wouldn't this be truth as well? Because he seems to want to marry her. He seems to want to be kind to her, to not expose her to public disgrace. Maybe he even wants to forgive her to move forward, but he feels like that's not allowed. What I love about this layer of understanding Joseph is that even before Jesus was born, his very existence was challenging paradigms of what righteous meant, what right living looked like. Maybe it looked like being open to other people's experiences of God. Maybe sometimes it looked like holding a boundary, like infidelity is a deal breaker and separation is best. But sometimes it looked like giving space for repair. The dynamics of fidelity within a relationship are complex and contextual. Any choice that reflects a person's integrity and values is complex and contextual. It is so easy to say about other people's relationships, oh, I would never stay. I can't believe they did that. I can't believe they forgave them. They must condone lying, stealing, cheating. And beyond that, it's also easy to say, I would never do that, whatever that is, that awful action. But beloved children of God do unrighteous things all the time. Beloved children of God break marriage vows, they tweak the truth, they lie by omission, they grasp at power and control all the time, every day. It is so easy to judge. It is far more hard to give grace. It is far more hard to encounter a broken and repentant heart, and instead of saying, see, I told you so, you deserve all these consequences, Instead of saying that, it's so much harder to say, I forgive you, let's move forward. And I have to include a really important caveat here. This does not look the same when we're talking about intimate partner violence, emotional, physical, spiritual, financial abuse. Every situation is complex and contextual. Moving forward in those situations absolutely looks like separation and safety. But in this situation, when there is care and kindness here and there is a, a foundation of trust, Joseph has other choices. And I imagine that Mary was sorry for the pain and confusion that he was feeling. She couldn't force him to believe her. She couldn't convince him with a rational argument or documentation of her every location and interaction for the last several months. All she had was the reality that she was pregnant and her word that an angel told her the baby would be from the Holy Spirit. Now, I imagine she was not sorry for having said yes to this angel, but that she was scared Joseph wouldn't believe her and abandon her and heartbroken that he was put in such a position. So Joseph is wrestling. He is awake at night trying to figure out what is the right thing to do? Trust Mary and go into completely uncharted territory or uphold values that he's lived by his whole life? Now, for some reason, 
Joseph needed some external validation. It was hard to take Mary's word. It was hard to trust her. And if you've ever been in a relationship or a friendship or a family and someone says something that is hurtful or weird, it is hard to trust them sometimes, even though you love them. Sometimes we need to hear something from outside of ourselves, outside of our relationship, for us to get it. And this is what we see all through Scripture. Over and over again in Scripture, God comes to humanity using the exact images and language that they need to understand. God meets us where we are in our midst, speaking to us in ways that get through to us, that get into our thick skulls, (laughs) that God loves us that there is a path that we are to follow. So maybe Joseph did struggle to trust her. Maybe he struggled to believe such a strange claim. And maybe God knew that Joseph needed some external validation, some guidance, some permission to do what he wanted to do, remain married. Permission that his choice to stay was not a wrong one or a bad one or that he was not an unrighteous man for remaining married to a woman who seemed to be unfaithful. And so God used an image and language that would get through to Joseph. A dream, an angel, scripture, and the same wording we see somewhere else or everywhere else about Jesus being of the Holy Spirit. Uses the same wording that Mary uses in the Gospel of Luke to describe what's happening. But first, God uses a dream. There was another Joseph, an ancestor in the faith, centuries before, who had had a wild dream that showed power being subverted and unimaginable forgiveness. That Joseph, favored by his father, had a whole host of jealous brothers intent on grasping a power and control. They did all they could to get rid of Joseph. And at first they succeeded. That Joseph was a slave in Egypt, but through his dream interpretation, he became someone of authority and power. Years later, when those same brothers appeared begging for help because a famine was at work in their homeland, Joseph revealed his identity, offered forgiveness, and experienced this very emotional reconciliation. The Joseph in today's story, the one who remained married to Mary and adopted Jesus as his earthly son, would have known the story of that Joseph by heart. He would have valued dreams and signs, images and prophecies in scripture. He would have found them to be more authoritative than his own interpretations of what righteousness should look like. There's an artist and a writer named Scott Erickson, and he wrote a book recently called Say Yes, uh, The Surprising Life uh, That Comes to You After the Death of a Dream. And he talks about what happens when we have these dreams that die and there are new dreams that come to us that God leads us to. And one of the questions in this book says, what are you now free to do because your dream died? What are you now free to do because your dream died? Joseph had a dream of a very simple and purposeful life without a lot of ups and downs or the normal level of ups and downs, certainly not a Messiah, certainly not a strange beginning to a marriage. 
but that dream died. And so what is he free to do now that that dream is gone? He was free to choose a wife and a life and an adopted son. He was free to be a part of the new thing that God was doing in the world. The whispers would follow him always. Long into Jesus' adult life, they say, isn't this Mary's son, not the son of Joseph? Isn't this the carpenter's kid? Isn't it that family that had that really strange thing happen a long time ago? And perhaps Joseph's doubt of Mary followed him for a long time. But he chose. He said yes. He was brave, and he was kind. Because as I keep telling my son, who's four, being brave means being scared and doing it anyway. And being truly kind often means we must be brave. And so Joseph chose this life. He chose a different dream. He received the dream that God gave him while he was sleeping and chose to live it out. And he got to be a part of a new thing that God was doing. Was it always exciting or glamorous? Obviously not. It was difficult and painful at times. He would witness his son die on a cross. He would be confused at the resurrection. People would not understand, and they would still judge. They would say, oh, that's so strange. How could he stay? How could this work out? How could he forgive her? It would be difficult, but there would also be joy. There's a detail at the end of this passage that says Joseph named him Jesus, which we think is like, okay, Joseph named him Jesus, great. That had a legal understanding This is now my heir. This is my son now. It it connotes adoption and a full acceptance and this kind of grafting of Jesus into the line of David, the family of David, that was so an essential part of Jesus being the Messiah, was that it was from the line of David. Joseph chose. He chose Mary, he chose Jesus. He chose to be a part of what God was doing. And so I wonder for you, what dream of yours is dying right now? And what dream is God giving to you, leading you to? What dream is right in front of you that you need some external validation to pursue? Can you pray for that? Can you open yourself to that guidance and act on it when it when you sense it? Can you trust that God has your back even if you end up making the wrong choice? Because for all the times that we want an angel or a neon sign to say, go here, take this job, marry this person, when it happens, it's still scary. (laughs) It's still strange. It's still confusing. Other people don't get it. And God so often works in all of these other ways, too. One of my favorite writers, Jan Richardson, she describes it this way. In the story of Joseph, who had to deal with his own world coming to an end, we find marvelous images of how God's desires became known to Joseph through his dreaming. 
When God wants to convey something to us, God frequently chooses something other than the straightforward way. Dream, story, metaphor, intuition, synchronicity, poetry, art, God seems to love showing up in our peripheral vision rather than head on. Finding the language or medium by which we will most clearly sense what God is asking of us. We have been conditioned to not trust our intuition, to not trust that that's a God-given gift, that God chooses to lead us in and through that sense of knowing. But what if it is? And what if God has your back if you're wrong and you think it is and it's not? Isn't it worth it to try? To follow a strange dream and see if it happens to be part of what God is doing? The good news is that God comes to us in the way that we need to hear, in ways that we are able to notice. The good news is that God is faithful to lead us into new life, to lead us closer to God's own self, even when it feels confusing and strange to us, even when we feel like we're stumbling in the dark and maybe we're making the wrong choice, but we're trying. God knows that. God is faithful to be in that process and to be constantly pulling us toward God. We can trust in that even when it's confusing. It is a gift. Amen.